This is The UU Perspective with your host, Sharon Merrill. This is episode number 22 of the UU Perspective podcast, where you can hear weekly interviews from Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists that are changing the world through the stand they take on issues facing our world today, and who facilitate making a difference in the communities around them. Whether you're already a member or a seeker exploring the faith, there is something here for everyone. From personal spiritual growth to inspiration that impacts the community, you'll be opened up to the awesome possibilities. So sit back and relax and enjoy the conversations you're about to hear. My guest today is Reverend Kathleen McTeague, and she is the director of the UU College of Social Justice, which is a joint project of the UUA and the UUSC that's based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Prior to accepting this position back in 2012, she served as a parish minister for 25 years in first North Carolina and then in New Haven, Connecticut, and she's currently now in Boston, Massachusetts. So the UU College of Social Justice, its mission is to inspire and sustain faith-based justice work on issues of the local, national, and global importance. This mission, it serves through a variety of short-term experimental learning journeys for adults of all ages and intensive justice programs for high school youth and global summer internships for college-age young adults. The programs are grounded in faith-based study and reflection. So some of the areas that they visit are Haiti and the Lumination, and along with some of the youth are walking the immigrant trails and carrying jugs of water and literally saving lives right now. And also the youth have a lot of opportunities to get training and specific social justice areas and also the young adults can have an opportunity to be involved in internships that offer them an opportunity to become organizers of social justice movements. So here is Kathleen. All right. Well, welcome, Kathleen, and thank you for being with us. And I've already given everyone a little bit of information about you, but I'd like you to go ahead and kind of introduce yourself and give us a little information about your role inside of the UU community. Sure. I'd be happy to do that. So I am the director now of the Unitarian Universalist College of Social Justice. It's based in Cambridge out of the office of the UUSC. But the college was jointly founded by the UUA and UUSC almost exactly three years ago at Justice GA in 2012. Before I came into this role, and I'll say a little bit more about our work in a minute, but before I came into this role, I was a parish minister for 25 years. I first served for four years in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and then for 21 years in New Haven, Connecticut, and uh, was tapped for this role from that congregation. So. The thing that most appealed to me about making that leap from one kind of ministry to another was the vision that was spelled out for me about what the, what the College of Social Justice was designed to do. And the most succinct way to put it is that it was designed to create new frames of justice education that would strengthen the social justice work that we do. Our, our mission statement says that we were formed in order to inspire and sustain faith-based 
justice engagement on the local, national, and international levels. So what that means in practice is that we have created over these past three years a variety of experiential learning programs, that is, programs that that really put people face-to-face with some part of our reality that they have not been familiar with before. Um, And the beauty of that kind of experience, the beauty of experiential learning, that makes it more powerful from the many other ways that we take in information, is that that face-to-face encounter with a new part of our reality tends to have a change effect on us. We absorb some new information, not just through our head, but really our full beings, through our minds, but also through our emotions and even physically, because when we're in a new place, all of our, all of our receptors are open to learning something. Our focus is on helping people take that experience and translate it into action when they get back home. So, for example, when we do service learning programs, which are these short-term immersions of one to two weeks, our focus on those is not doing a service in the country or the location where we've gone, although that may well be part of it. It's more through the lens of saying that the real service that we can render along trying to resolve or, or uh, get involved in this particular injustice comes after we return home, when we put what we've learned to work. So just to tell you briefly what we're doing and where we're going, we have these short-term immersion learning programs right now at the border region of the United States down in Tucson, and we also cross into Mexico. We have a program with the Lemmy Nation, which is in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. We travel to Haiti with a Haitian organizational partner called the Papai Peasant Movement, or MPP. We take people about every year to India with Holding India Partners working there. And um, we are exploring a new program now in Latin America that we hope will will, uh, bear fruit sometime in this coming year. We also have justice training programs for high school youth that are immersion learning programs so far all in the United States. And we have run one-week and two-week programs for high school youth in Boston, in New Orleans, and this year, for the first time in Tucson, Arizona, immersing them in the, in the issues of immigration justice. Uh, we have created internships for young adults of college age and older. Um, this year, we have 12. Last year, we had 15. And the year before that, we had nine. Uh, and these placements are both within the United States and overseas. They're designed to give college age young people an opportunity to explore vocationally what it might mean to dedicate themselves to justice work. We have four of these um, interns in India this year, so they're having a really exciting experience there. And the others are placed within the United States in a wide variety of partner organizations that are doing justice work. So let me pause there and see if you have some questions for me about this work. Yeah, I do. I've, so it's for all ages, really. It is, although there are some, the, the service learning programs are for primarily for adults, that is 18 and over. We do permit high school students to go on those programs. If they're going overseas on them, they need to have a parent or guardian with them. Then the other programs that I described are age-specific. They're either young adults for the internships or they are youth for the, uh, for the training programs. So say for the youth, that's more probably of a classroom setting in a sense? 
Well, it's, I would say it's more of a, no, it's definitely not a classroom setting because it's very interactive. So, for instance, to give you an example, in the Boston program, um, that, was, that has run for two weeks at a time. And two days a week for each of those two weeks, the youth are scattered into a variety of justice organizations around the Boston area where they shadow people and, and they basically have a mini internship. They get to do some hands-on work and, and basically see the theories that they've been learning of social change applied in action. In the one-week program in Tucson and also in New Orleans, they're doing a great deal of hands-on work at the same time that they're doing workshop learning. So it's, it's a combination of both things. We're partnered in the um, Tucson program with both a group called um, Borderlinks and a group called No More Deaths, which arose, it, it's, a, it's a mission of the Unitarian Congregation in Tucson. Unitarian Universalist Congregation in Tucson, and it literally saves lives by walking the migrant trails with um, big jugs of water and leaving water for people. So our youth will be participating in that this summer. Okay, and when they aren't like out in the field, are are they learning the history of why things are happening, what's happening, and learning to be empathetic towards what's going on? Well, they're learning, uh, so each of the programs is focused on a particular issue because we can't just do, you know, justice writ large. It's too big a topic. So again, using Tucson as an example, the, the justice issue that they're focused on is immigration justice. So they're, they're learning a great deal about that. But they're also learning the techniques and theories of change. So they're learning, for instance, how we go about, how people who want to make a change go about gathering other people together. They're learning about the difference it can make when you are grounding what you do in reflection together and in individual um, contemplative practices. So they're learning what it means to be spiritually grounded as well. And then they're doing a lot of hands-on interactive kinds of things to learn some of those skills that they will need if they decide that they want to do social justice themselves. And of course, most of them have self-selected because they do want to. Sure. And do they choose, like, do you offer certain topics, like if it's Black Lives Matter or if it's immigrants, or is it just what's happening at the time that you're offering? Uh, well, as I said, each of those programs has one kind of hook that they're focused on. I, again, as an example, last year's Boston program was focused on minimum wage and minimum wage workers and how we raise the minimum wage. Um, not Black Lives Matter per se, but the the whole idea of uh, of anti-racism work and multiculturalism is built into every single one of our programs, not just for the youth, but everybody. And that's true for a couple of reasons. One, because we really view uh, racism and the need to be allies in anti-racist work as being a core fundamental um, issue and skill for anyone who wants to make social change in this country. And secondly, because we believe that people need to be our people in particular, thinking about Unitarian Universalists, since that's our target audience, need to be both equipped and help to be more bold and courageous in boundary crossing and in feeling like they can step outside of their comfort zone and become an ally, stand in solidarity with people who are in frontline or affected communities. So that also involves a real awareness, if we are not ourselves people of color, a real awareness of what it means to be white in this culture and how we work with what we have to learn the skills it takes to become allies. So that's embedded not just in our youth programs, but in all of the um, 
the justice framework that we've created. I should say something else here that I that I probably should have said at the beginning, but the um, the idea behind the College of Social Justice is that we would create a learning framework for each of these immersion experiences that would make it a deeper experience. So we we uh, assume and we put this expectation out front that no matter what program someone's participating in, they will engage the study materials we've created for that program both before, during, and after the program runs. So all of these materials are on our website, which is just uucsj.org. They're all available to be used for anything. They, they could be easily adapted to other kinds of programs. But they are designed specifically to help people go deeply into understanding not just the issue they'll engage when they travel, but better understanding themselves and where each of us stands in that really intricate and complicated matrix of privilege and power. Again, all of this is with the idea that real change is made by having broad coalitions of people across many differences linked together. And so if we're going to be part of such broad coalitions, we have to be nimble and skilled in the arts of, of boundary crossing and making sure that the, the lines of difference between us and people who are not exactly like us are not barriers. They are seen, they are honored, but they are not barriers to working together. For the adults that get to participate overseas in Haitia or India, how often is that offered? We travel to India um, once a year or less, mostly because it's so expensive, but partly because the Holding India partner organizations are doing um, really critical work there that does not always lend itself to people coming from outside the country. Um, so that's not as frequent an opportunity. But we travel to Haiti between four and six times a year to the border region between four and six times a year. The trip to the Lummi Nation um, was a pilot this spring. We went in April for the first time, and we're hoping that in the coming year we'll be able, and going forward, we'll be able to run that twice. We have a civil rights program, too, that is in partnership with the Living Legacy Project that has been running once a year, but we're hoping that that's going to increase to two or three times a year. So we have quite a, a number of programs. The youth training programs run only in the summer, and the internships for young adults run only in the summer. How many people generally participate? The minimum for any of our travel programs is 10, and we range usually from 10 to 18 in those programs. Um, the minimum for the youth training programs is also 10. The biggest one this summer will be the border one, and that's got 24 youth signed up for it. We did a one-day version. The, the, Activate, the programs for youth are called Activate, and we did a one-day version of that program at General Assembly uh, this year for the second time, and that drew 65 youth. So we're, we're getting the word out. Can you give me an example of someone who has participated and the impact it's made upon them? Uh, I probably can't give you an example drawing up a name of somebody, um, but I can tell you the kinds of things we've heard back from people, which is, at, at this point, the best way we have of measuring our impact. Mostly what we hear from people is after they have this firsthand encounter, they have a really powerful need to get involved because it, it's quite a different thing, for instance, to read about immigration struggles than it is to talk with someone who's just been deported and hear their story after living in the United States since they were two, you know, um, and having a family and all that, um, then it is, so it, it impacts people in a, in a very different way. And they find themselves realizing the, 
faces, the stories, the real people who are connected to those issues. So as it, I think it's true for most of us, having a, a human being attached to what until then has been an issue makes all the difference in the world. It makes it much more real and personal for us. So we come, people come back from these programs feeling like they need to make real changes in their priorities in order to be involved. Now, this is, it's a young program, and you, you've been involved since the beginning? Right. I was hired as the, as the director at the same time that it was launched. One of the, I, I'll tell you, one of the things that I've been most excited about this year and going forward is um, it, it has always been sort of on the drawing board that we would be looking for opportunities for what we had been calling skill sharing or skilled volunteer opportunities. Um, and what we've meant by that is sort of akin to the internships, but a way to uh, hear from a partner organization a specific need that they have. Let's say, you know, we need a videographer to come work with us for a month to create an outreach video for our program, something like that, that had a very specific skill set. And then we would find somebody uh, from within our, you know, constituency who could go and volunteer wherever that is, in Haiti or India or wherever, to help that partner organization with the skills that they already have. Um, and we got a request this spring, in the early spring, from a UUSC partner on the border in San Antonio, Texas, called Raices, which works with primarily immigrant women and children who are fleeing the violence in Central America. Raices told us that they expected another surge of unaccompanied minors in June and July of this year, and they wondered whether we had the capacity to recruit Spanish-speaking volunteers, people who were really fluent in Spanish, and or people who had legal training. So we said, well, we don't know, but we'll, we'll give it a shot. And we put together a, a description and an application process. And within three weeks, we had recruited almost 30 people who were willing to go on their own dime for between one and eight weeks this summer. So that, we ended up with 20 who managed to, to meet the specific criteria that the organization had, and it's been just an incredible experience. They're on the ground right now, even as we speak. So that, we hope to do much more of that going forward. It's a terrific opportunity for people to put their skills to, to work. Wow. So is that kind of what you're seeing for the future then? I'm, well, all of the programs I, I described will be continuing in the future, but having more opportunities for people with a particular skill set to plug into ongoing work of our partner organizations is definitely something that we want to do more of going forward. The other area that we're exploring and pushing out are having justice trainings for adults, not just for youth. So there are two of those planned now, one of them in August and one of them in September. The August one is designed for young adults who are already uh, active in climate justice, but who would like to get some of the really hands-on experience of being an organizer, um, not experience, skills, is what I mean. So it's an intensive four-day workshop uh, in the first part of August that we, because of the generosity of many donors, have been able to heavily subsidize so that most young adults will be able to afford it. And they are... They are uh, being trained by people whose life work is training organizers. So it's going to be a whole new skill set for most of them. The other training is going to be in Chicago with a partner of ours called the Food Chain Workers Alliance. They've got a campaign that they're just starting in Chicago and Cincinnati to get the cities to agree to um, share food purchasing. 
and you know, which considers not just the how local the food is and how good for you it is, but also the way the workers are paid. So we're doing a three-day training with them in Chicago in September for UUs who want to plug into those campaigns. So we'll see how that goes. We'll be assessing everything um, and deciding what version 102 will look like in the coming year. Sounds very exciting. So <laughs> you're always moving forward. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. That's great. Okay. How can people find out more uh, about the UU College of Social Justice? Uh, the website. We have our own website. It's linked to via both the UUA and UUSC, but it's just all people have to remember is UU College of Social Justice, and the um, the website is UUCSJ, our initials.org. So everything we have running is on that website. The resources that we use to support our programs are on the website, um, as well as information about us and volunteer opportunities. Okay, that sounds great. Well, um, to finish off a little bit, I'd like to have you give us an inspiring quote that you would love to share with everyone. Sure. So the quote that I have is from a man named Paul Razor, and he has been quite inspiring to me because what he's trying to lift up for us is what it means to do our social justice work grounded in our faith and with the capacity to really draw on the language of our faith to speak the reasons for why we're out there in the public sphere. So I find it really important because I think so often we kind of separate our religious lives from our political lives. But when we hear the language of morality spoken in the public sphere, it can be very, very powerful. So this is a quote from Paul Razor's book, Reclaiming Prophetic Witness. If our religion plays a significant role in our lives, then it must do more than simply reinforce the values of our culture. In fact, our values are often deeply countercultural. Given the public dominance of conservative religious voices today, if religious liberals don't speak up, no one else will know that there is another religious perspective. Thank you. That's very nice. I like that. One last question that I ask everyone is, how is Unitarian Universalism as a religious denomination uniquely positioned to serve and impact society? Well, I have trouble with the word unique, um, mostly because I think one of our weak points is that we tend to see ourselves as unique, and that has become quite important to us in some sense. I think that we are positioned very well as religious liberals, but we are not the only religious liberals. So I think it's important for us to remember that so that we do not shut ourselves away from people who are our natural allies on most of the issues that we care about. But having said that, I think that the thing that, that is most important about us in society as it is today is our um, basically our inherent commitment to diversity and the way that we elevate that as a part of our faith. So what we are capable of doing is going out into the work of our world with a profound appreciation for differences and for the richness of differences instead of feeling threatened by differences. That's at our best. I'm not sure that we always live out of that place. But um, the phrase I, I ask people to hold on to as a way of really reflecting our, phrase, our, our faith is not the term tolerance of difference, but rather the term glad curiosity. I think at our very best, what we bring forward into a very diverse world is glad curiosity that is constantly prodding us to say, tell me more. 
Yes, I love that. Glad curiosity. Wonderful. Oh, thank you. I, I like that that idea and in, in definitely honing in on the unique, uh, taking that away a little bit and looking at it totally differently. Thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, partly because to me, unique, the emphasis on unique has a tendency toward arrogance. We're so special, you know? So I think it's, and, and I would also say that that arrogance um, puts us directly at odds with, with our stated deep value of, of welcoming and honoring diversity because it can make us say things like, oh, I'm not going to go with those guys because when they pray, they pray in the name of Jesus, you know, instead of saying, well, wait a second, they're, they're working on the same issue I'm working on, and who cares if our faith stance is different? I can hear theirs, and they can hear mine, right? Right. Okay. Yeah, that so. makes total sense. Exactly. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you, Kathleen, for being with us. I appreciate all the insights into the UU College of Social Justice. Um, I definitely know a lot more about it and much more interested in it. And um, we'll put that out there and hopefully, you know, more people will get a better view of it and participate. So thank you. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. You bet. So if you're looking to find out more about the UU College of Social Justice, you can go to UUCSJ.org and also on Twitter, it's at UUCSJ. And we'll have those links in the show notes for you. And thanks to all of our listeners, uh, special shout outs to our Twitter followers, Adrian McCord, Reverend Melanie, UU Planet, and Mary Wellmeyer. Thanks for the input and the conversations on Twitter. And leave us a voicemail if you go to uuperspective.com, the website, you'll see a little tab to the right that says Speak Pipe. And give us an idea of what social justice activities you've been involved in and the impact. Now you only have 90 seconds, fit that in and we'll feature you on the next episode. So again, thanks for listening and please review us on iTunes and at the website, theuuperspective.com and we shall see you next time. Thank you.